And we are live on Zoom. So we are live, I think, minute early. So we're going to give this uh, hello to some Facebook friends out there. Uh, hopefully everyone is enjoying their Friday evening. Uh, I can already see some folks popping in on Zoom. I can only just see blurry font. So uh, let's see who's here already. Jan Kiefer, Sean Manning from the Highlands Ranch area of Colorado. Chad and Debbie Bloomgren, new faces in the house. Jeff and Jane Greasy are here, and we're going to talk to them uh, a little bit later on separately. But uh, I want to give everyone a, a couple minutes to Nelson Holden. Hello, sir. I don't know where you are this evening. I know the Greasies are in a camper somewhere in uh, the Chain of Lakes area. Chad and Debbie, you guys are in for a treat. I'm looking forward to that. I hear whispering from the studio. I'm sorry, can you speak up? Liz Holden is also on on Facebook, I believe. So Liz and Nelson, I like that. One is on the Zoom platform, one is on the Facebook platform. So let's get this show started on, <laughs> the show started on the road. Let's be, see how fast we can go off the rails. This is actually SIP 31, shelter in place 31. 31 weeks of you allowing us into your family rooms, your boats, your patios. And this is gonna be a special, special treat because we've upped our game with the talent and caliber of our guest. We've upped our game with Google Earth. We've got a lot of poll questions that uh, will be informing us on which way you want to take the company in the future. And, but more importantly, we're all here to drink great wine and, and give appreciation for the bounty that is in front of us. I do want to let people know that uh, there's a lot of folks drinking this Pinot Noir already in front of us. And the reason why they're drinking it is because they go over to the Cellar Angels website and they grab themselves a sip kit. So if you go over and search kits right now on Cellar Angel's website, you will see the SIP virtual tasting kit. Six bottles, the next six Fridays in a row, you can drink along with the winemaker and you can actually participate in the conversation by drinking the same thing we're drinking. If you wanna get ahead of the Thanksgiving game, we've prepared some kits for you there as well. Three bottle kit, six bottle kit, 12 bottle kit. 12 bottle kit is the ones where the in-laws are over, the relatives are over, and you need a little bit of liquid nourishment and uh, encouragement. And then of course, this Pinot Noir right here that we're gonna be discussing this evening, uh, courtesy of Dan Parrott. Uh, this is a special, special wine, and we're excited to get into this. So that's where you can get the wines. It really is a treat to be able to have that and sit back every single Friday. Tonight's charity for everybody that's purchasing wine, we encourage you to pick Disaster Relief because the disaster relief selection for wine this evening is gonna benefit both the glass fire victims and, and the funds that have been set up for the glass fire recipients and those folks, but also save the family farms. So it, it's a wonderful grassroots organization that is trying to save the family farms in the Napa region so that they can have a competitive landscape and playing field. With that said, for those of you that were here last week, you missed out. I'm sorry, for those of you that weren't here last week, you missed out. Check this out, what we did we actually had the ability to have someone capture, not this one, oops, I'm sorry, have someone capture what I and Mr. Sam Baxter spoke about, the art of wine. Oh, I don't know what happened, it was missing, it was there, ask Dan, Dan saw it in the rehearsal. Where is it? I will, I will get this working later on. And for those of you that were here last week, we sent it to you in the mail, but I promise you it will work later on. And with that said, I want to thank everyone for being here. Uh, we're humbled. Uh, this is where the supporters of great wine and great wine interviews and great wine talent come to enjoy themselves on a Friday in a nice, safe, engaging, hopefully humorous atmosphere. And without further ado, I want to introduce you to Dan Parrott of Jack's Vineyards, who has been a longtime friend of the company uh, and actually has a Chicago connection we might get into a little bit later on. So, Dan, thanks for spending some Friday night with us. Uh, no worries. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So now, where are you as we are? Are you in the Valley? Are you down in San Francisco in the Bay Area? Where are you? So I just uh, purchased a home this summer over in uh, San Rafael, which is just north of the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, near the Muir Woods and uh, Stenson Beach area. And uh, we do that because I, I have a tasting room in San Francisco and an office there. So it's kind of the halfway point between our vineyards in Carneros and the tasting room in San Francisco. So now the vineyards in Carneros, is that primarily where the food source is for the brand? 
Well, that's where we we farm some vineyards down there, and we work with some great uh, vineyards down there. So we have, we we source fruit from Carneros all the way up to Calistoga, as far as the Sonoma Coast, all the way over to Atlas Peak. So we're we're actually sourcing quite a bit of fruit throughout Sonoma and Napa, but our estate fruit is all the way up in Calistoga. Great, and we're gonna actually uh, zoom into some estate fruit area. Before we get kind of into the Jack story, I think you've got an interesting backstory because you've been around many facets of the wine industry, kind of what I would refer to on both sides of the table. And, and also you, you've studied wine. You've got, I, I believe, a, a sommelier degree or a pin. And uh, walk me through kind of the educational process of, of when Dan Parrott and when Dan decided, okay, I'm pretty good at sure. drinking wine, so maybe I should start studying. <laughs> Well, I, um, I got in this business because uh, a long time coming, about 15 years of uh, working in restaurants. And uh, when I was in college, I worked in high-end restaurants, and I actually have a master's degree in photography. Um, upon getting my master's degree in photography, I worked for Getty Images out of New York, and I lived in Manhattan for about six years in the early 2000s, and I covered Asia and Africa. And while I was living in New York, I had a guy come up to me named Kevin Zarelli from Windows of the World at the World Trade Center. And Kevin said, hey, you know a lot about wine. You should come work with me. And I said, I do this. You know, this is fun for me. He's like, good, because I'm not going to pay you. <laughs> <laughs> and so Monday nights, he has a great educational course called Windows of the World Wine School. And uh, I would go in there and sit with him and hang out and drink wine. And he would teach me as he was teaching the course, how to teach wine. And so I really loved it. It wasn't a money thing for me at all. I was still doing photography up until about 2008. And then uh, I kind of said, you know what? I'm traveling 300 days a year. I was covering the Gaza Strip. I was covering very, very dark places like Sudan. And I said, you know what? Uh, the wine world's a lot safer, it's a lot better. So I actually went back into the wine world and started doing it full time in restaurants. And then as a uh, working with a small importer or a importer that represented small productions in Italy, Spain, and Portugal. And then I went to another company that was working in France. And uh, I really got to work with these producers and see how they were making the wine, what they were doing, why their wine tasted different than their neighbors, and just really seeing the passion that was going into all of these smaller producers. I then, uh, the company that I was working for sold their company and right place, right time. I got a phone call from Kimberly Jackson from uh, Jack's Vineyards and they were looking to grow the company and she had just had her second child and said, hey, why don't you come work for us? And I said, yeah, if it's a, if it's a partnership, I'd be very interested in. I'd be very interested in the production of the wine as well as the sales aspect of selling the wine. And how, that's how what kind of got me there. Mm -hmm. what, I mean, let's go back to the Getty thing. So sure. do, you, do you fill out, first of all, a master's in photography, if you're yep. in Florida area, you can help us with our lighting on Fridays from now on because, uh, <laughs> but yeah. we're familiar with Getty because they, they actually send some very aggressive cease and desist letters when you accidentally yep. use an image. They're, they're yep. very nice people. Um, but so where did you go to undergrad? I went to Arizona State and then I went to the University of Sydney in Australia. Really? Wow. And so I got to study wine in Australia just by being there for the year and a half, two years that I was there for school. I went to the vineyards there just as a passion, just because I love the, the aspect of making wine. And what was the impetus behind, okay, I graduated ASU, now I'm going to go to Australia? The, the graduate programs uh, only accept generally one to three people a year in any of the top schools. And they approached me at an exhibition that I had done, and I had just left Asia uh, shooting the refugee camps of Thailand and Burma. And so I had an exhibition in the United States, and uh, somebody there that was actually a teacher said, we would be interested in you coming to our program. And so I got together with them, and it was half, half, they wanted me, I wanted to continue my, my project in, uh, in Asia, and so they said, well, we can give you a grant and we're halfway between, you know, the U.S. and Asia. It's right. going to be a lot quicker for you to get there. And so we set up a, a policy and a, and a two-year program for myself. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're shooting these refugee camps at the age of 23, 24, 25? Yeah. Yeah, 25. 
that had to be just, uh, I mean, an out of body yeah. experience for a 25 year old that, you know, left Tempe a couple years <laughs> earlier. <laughs> uh, well, when I was in Tempe, I was shooting Mexico. Oh. So this was, this was always a passion for me. I, I actually grew up in uh, Flint, Michigan. And uh, Flint, Michigan, uh, I don't know if you, in the 80s, there was a movie called The Roger and Me. And it was a documentary movie about the General Motors plants closing and, and what was going on. And, and that's what really kind of sparked my interest in documentary photography was telling the story, telling the passion and telling um, what was actually going on. That is, I mean, that's incredible. And I want to say hello to Brian Marcella. Uh, a couple of folks, Julie Fogarty, Scotland Kiefer. I really appreciate you guys jumping on. I think I saw Debbie Long. Might be mistaken. She just gets credit. Uh, but um, I think that's, I mean, that is a crazy cool, uh, circuitous path to wine. And, and how did Kimberly know to just pick up the phone and, and say, hey, I mean, was she keeping tabs on you? Did you uh, no, put so after, wine in restaurants out there? Right. So after about a 2006, 2007, I was still doing, I was in Phoenix area running uh, a major restaurant group that had 12 restaurants and then a fine dining program. And I used to be a buyer of the wines. And then uh, I started working for the import company after that. And she knew me from sharing distributors. Um, we had my small vineyards imports wines that were the small production, Italian, Spanish, and Portuguese wines in the same house as Jack's. And so when she started asking around, they, people would say, hey, you should talk to Dan about this. He's, he's done this before. He's built brands. He's, he's, uh, he's a storyteller. He can help you um, from the point that the grapes go in the bottle all the way through to the sales of the wine. And so she's like, oh, I know Dan. I actually had dinner with him before. And so she actually uh, reached out through a friend and said, hey, I just had my second child and I'm would like to raise my kids instead of being on the road all the time. Would you be interested in, in coming on board and, uh, and helping us live, you know, their dream? That is, it's an awesome story because it actually typifies a lot of what I, I love in the wine industry, what we talked a lot about at Cellar Angels, about how wine brings people together. And, mm -hmm. and while it's, it's funny, while it's a big industry, you know, global industry, it's actually a small industry. And, and that you never burn a bridge, which is actually just good philosophy to begin with, because you don't know when your paths are going to cross. And, and I don't even remember the first time you and I met, and I don't know if it was with Jax, it could have been, uh, but yeah. since that time, and that was, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago, uh, we've, we've drank wine together in San Francisco. We poured wine together at a private event out in Long Island. And now here we are uh, in a global pandemic, sitting back and drinking wine again. So uh, there, there are worse vocations to have than, than meeting great people and drinking fantastic wines. Uh, your story is, is sensational and I don't, I don't know another one quite like it. So you've been at Jack's, tell me about the Jack's story now. You got there, what? Sure. what what year? I got there uh, the end of 2012, and so I got a chance to kind of finish the what would have been the 13 white, 15 red, 14 red. Yeah, well, I guess it would have been 12 whites and 14 reds. And uh, when I when I came on board, we were doing it was it was very different than what we're, you know in the eight years that I've been here running the show and you know, in, in kind of scoping what we're doing, we were making at the, when I started, I think maybe five wines and uh, we were doing a Sauvignon Blanc, a Chardonnay, uh, two Chardonnays, uh, a red blend and a cab and that was it. And since then we've been, we've gotten some fantastic Wait, 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 oh. wait don't, 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 no secrets. Okay, um, okay. Because I don't want to give anything away yet when we talk about sure. the portfolio about the portfolio, but I think that actually, that's going to lead us to our first poll question because you, you came in and like you said, there was five wines and you've started a couple different programs. And I think one of the neat programs that you've started is, is the Y3 program. And so the first question for everybody, put your appetizers down and get your hands on that keyboard. Jax has a series of wines made specifically for the distribution channel called Y3. Where does the name come from? So there's a couple of folks that actually cheat and do a lot of research on this. So they will usually have their answers in first. Uh, the original suggestion of why not 
didn't poll well among focus groups. There are three different Pinot Noir clones utilizing in the property's Y vineyard block. Or the original ranch purchased in 1972 was called Y3. So I'm gonna give this a little bit of time. We've got about 15 more seconds left. Uh, and, and this was not in place when Dan got there. So Dan was the pioneer of this and, and instrumental in making this happen. So we've got five more seconds, four, three, two, one. All right. Oh, so, a couple people. So we've got, uh, there are three different Pinot Noir clones utilizing the property's Y vineyard block. The predominant winner at 78%. And the answer is what? I yes. So the Y3 was actually the cattle brand sign on my partner's grandparents' cattle ranch. And so this was a ranch that they purchased in Australia in the uh, 70s. And uh, you can see there, that's actually their grandparents there. Um, and Harold and uh, Lois Jackson, and you can uh, see where it says Y3 on the, on the gate there. That was just when they were first starting it. And it actually was quite a big ranch. Um, and that would be actually the brand that they would brand the cattle with. Um, since then, there's no more cattle. There's still a small ranch. Um, they've actually subdivided into more residential property. And uh, uh, we still have a house there, uh, but no grapes. So it was something that we wanted to kind of have fun with. Um, the first vintage was actually just before I started they were started producing a little bit of Sauvignon Blanc, a little bit of Chardonnay, and then I kind of filled it out after with other varietals and kind of made it more of a program. Cool. And it's funny because we used to carry some of the Y3 in the retail wine store we owned in Chicago. Uh, Doug Rutherford, right. hello, sir. Hans Greasy, hello. Thanks for joining from the Colorado area. Congratulations on the new house. Um, and Jan Kiefer, I've been telling, the studio's telling me to say hello to you again. I think I caught you early on. That's it's okay. We've got a crack studio upstairs. Uh, what is the production split, Dan, between the Y3 and then kind of, and I, when, what do you call in, like, for example, the wine we're drinking tonight? Is that the state? So is that this is, so the Jack's label that you'll see on the label, that, sorry, you can hold yours up. Mine's kind of a mirrored backdrop. The Jack's label, uh, this will be a label that we use for our estate fruits and our small production vineyard deserts, which are limited releases. So our estate fruit consists of three different wines, and then we make a little bit of Chard and a little bit of Pinot. And then that production is only about 3,000 cases total. So very small, very small batches of wine. And then the Y3 brand is meant to be a little more everyday wine, a lower price point, which flavor profile is gonna be lower in alcohol, high acid, and less oak. So a little more user-friendly and something you can consume upon release. All right, and so you have, uh, I, I don't know where this winemaker would rank, I would say top five. And He's, he, yeah, talk to me about Kirk Vengi. Sure, Kirk's one of the top winemakers in Napa and Sonoma. Uh, he has his own line of wines called Vangi, which is his last name, and uh, V-E-N-G-E. And then he makes our wine and another uh, wine called Macaulay at Vangi. And then he consults for several other wineries throughout the area that do have their own wineries, such as 1111, Bee Cellars, uh, Bacho Divino. Uh, gosh, the list goes on and on and on. So what he does for us. Mm -hmm. entrepreneur wines. I mean, there's a bunch yeah. of them that he consults for. Yeah. So, so what he does for us is, you know, since 2003, he's been with us and he was just a young guy then. He's, he's my age, he's 44. And so we were very lucky to get him when he was kind of an aspiring coming up winemaker. And in 2002, 2003, he came on board to work with just our estate fruit. And we were looking to replant the vineyard. And so he helped us actually plan the vineyard we allowed him to grow whatever he'd like. And so that is three types of Cabernet, a little bit of Cab Franc, and a little bit of Petit Verdot for blending. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and folks probably know, but I think it bears repeating that Kirk's father, Nils, actually was a pioneering winemaker in his own right and still considered to be one of the best all around. If memory serves, he scored the first 100-point wine in all of Napa Valley with uh, the growth Cabernet. 
And, and so I guess if you're going to follow someone around as a father, you know, Nils is probably a pretty yeah. good guy to, to kind of shadow. Yeah. But, but I did not sure. know that he, mm -hmm. I did not know he's been with you since 2003. So that's fantastic. So he's been with us on the estate since 2003. And then when I saw him board in 2012, they were making a little bit of the Y3 wines, but we had a different winemaker. Uh, we actually uh, decided that Kirk would be the best for that. So I sat down with Kirk one day and I said, Kirk, this is what we're doing at the estate. This is what we want to do with, you know, this is our, you know, our, our goal for our other program, which is purchase fruit from small growers like ourselves. Um, can we do this at this price point? And Kirk is a very sought after gentleman. Uh, he is not a cheap winemaker because he could, he could go anywhere and he could make wine for anyone. And so um, we, we sat down into a deal where he consults on that project and I helped him with that. So what I'm doing, we're, we're, we're putting our minds together to find special vineyards and special growers like ourselves. So we're working with great growers like the Duttons over in Sonoma. We're working with Beckstoffers in Napa and in Lake County. We're working with um, several, uh, several great, great uh, growers that are, uh, you know, they're, 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 they see our vision, they see where we can go, and uh, we, we work out deals to make it happen. No, and it's awesome. And I, and I love the small producers that actually work directly with the small growers. And it's, it's interesting, and given your, your really, really strong international background, I mean, especially when it comes to France and Champagne in particular, there's the, the houses, you know, the LVMH champagnes and stuff, mm -hmm. but then everybody in the industry always gravitates to the grower champagnes. And, sure. and, and, and unfortunately, the grower champagnes are getting gobbled up by the larger houses and stuff like that. But it really is interesting here in the United States, especially in Napa and Sonoma, that you still have all of these independent growers for the most part that have vineyard blocks and then getting to know them, growing up in the Valley, you've been there a long time, Kirk's been there a long time. You get to pick out those folks that are true to the mission that will help you elevate the brand. And it's really kind of a symbiotic relationship. You're helping them, they're helping you, and it's not a bad gig. Yeah, there's a lot of great growers out there that wanna grow the best grapes possible and they don't want to sell it to a big guy that's going to, just going to blend it with everything else they want to see their they want to see their name they want to see the grapes that they grew and spent so much time and and uh, passion growing they want to taste that in a finished product as well and so for instance i had someone call me uh was it three or four weeks ago and they said hey would you i know i see your project i see what you have going on i've got this great little zinfandel vineyard and it's on Zinfandel Lane in uh, St. Helena. Would you come by and check it out? Absolutely. Come check it out. And I picked it the next day and I picked it myself. I went and got the truck and uh, I grabbed two guys and we picked the vineyard in three hours. And so it, it is a handshake and it is, you know, there are still guys out there that are, that are doing this for the passion and the love of, of growing grapes and making wine. And it's, it's, it, it, you know, it's, it's very different from the big box wines that you may see out there. There is something, when I start looking at vineyards, people ask me all the time, well, how do you know what this vineyard is? And there's three things that I learned when I was importing wine. One, uh, everything that we do under both labels is hand harvested. Uh, two, it's earth friendly, organic, or biodynamic. And three, the, the vineyards that we use are family owned. So they're not hmm. some big conglomerate that owns 50,000 acres and, and whatnot. We're actually looking for, like I said, like the, the guys that have the same uh, philosophy that we do that, you know, everything has, is a passion. That's incredible. Uh, I think one of the things that really just knocked me off my feet was you picked a vineyard with two other guys. So yeah. <laughs> when, when these two guys you grab see you picking yeah. And they're like, hey, this is the guy that moves all the spreadsheets around and, and signs our paychecks and stuff like that. Can you, can, can you still pick a vineyard or are your fingers safe or you really got to go yeah, slow? Yeah. And pick? No, no, I, I told the guys when we, when we got to the vineyard, I said, guys, because we want it to be a very clean pick. We don't want leaves. We want to make sure we're picking the best fruit possible. So I told the guys from the beginning, I said, if you guys put leaves in here, then I have to sit here and pull the leaves out. Okay. <laughs> If, if you don't put leaves in here, I'm going to be alongside you picking. So let's get this done. And we right. knocked it out. We knocked it out. We picked out uh, two tons in three hours. And that's pretty quick for, for a couple of guys. No, that's fantastic. And I think it's interesting. 
that you can still do that and have a passion for it and can just, you know, jump in where the need arises and, and get the job done. So, and I, I love also it. love the, I love the aspect about the handshake deals because it's, mm. it's kind of something that is lost oftentimes where you, you know, if someone says, well, let's get this done. You're like, okay, we'll send the agreement over to our attorneys. It's like, ah, that's not what I really want. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I do want to, for those of you that just joined us, uh, thank you so much. I can see a couple more new people. And I know there's some folks on Facebook that are chit-chatting away. Uh, I think uh, the studio has informed me that the, the ink factory item uh, that we did last week with Sam Baxter from Tara Valentine is ready to be shared. And I'm, I'm just stressing this because we're getting ready to the insanity season of corporate gift giving, the holidays, uh, October, November, December is always big in this industry. I think it's going to be different this year because I'm not certain how many in-gathering holiday parties there are going to be, uh, which is really going to be a new wrinkle. But we do a very, very robust uh, virtual private tasting business. And this could be something great for your clients. So I will have the studio queue that up and actually share this video because this is something where we talk and present, they draw, and it's actually pretty cool. So go ahead and share that. I feel like John Stewart. So this is what happened. This is Sam Baxter and I talking last week and there's someone behind the scenes drawing everything that we say. And this is something that we shared with the entire audience last week, post the event, uh, because this could be a great thing if you have 50 guests in your company or you're doing it for 100 clients. Uh, we've got another private tasting coming up next week with a private wealth management firm that has 60 people on and we're gonna be potentially doing this for their clients. But as you can see, at the end of the hour, it's just a completely visual depiction of what happened. So uh, that is something that I think is available. So if you want to reach out to us, we'll be happy to uh, make that happen for you. And uh, it, it, it was kind of special to be able to have that. One of the things that came up last week, and, and you and I have talked about it since then, that people are asking about is the, the insanity of the 2020 vintage, specifically with the smoke, specifically with the fires, and I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, ask a little bit about how it's impacted Jacks and, and what this vintage is going to be like. Sure. So, so this year was a little bit different. Uh, you know, it, it's sad, but it's almost like we have a fire season these days up in wine country. And so a lot of times, almost yearly, there's always a fire that is, is of a distance, but doesn't really affect Napa Valley too much. Um, because it's not as wooded in the, in the, you know, in the um, Benchland area where we're growing grapes. Um, but this year was a little bit different. We typically get 30 inches of rain uh, in our season, and we got 15 inches. So right off the bat, we were just, everything was completely dry. And then, uh, gosh, it must have been in August, I believe, we had some lightning strikes, and we had some fires, and they called those the lightning complex fires. And those were still, you know, a little distance away, but that can still affect us because of the smoke coming through. And if you're close enough to the fire, that can permeate the grapes and can give you an ashy taste in the grapes. Uh, but then it was, gosh, we usually pick our grapes kind of into September, first week of October for our Cabernet. Cabernet is our most late ripening grape that we have out there. And because we are so far north in Napa Valley in Calistoga, we usually pick two weeks later than the valley floor. We just need the extra hang time to ripen and get the sugar levels where we want them. But uh, we had a weekend coming up where it was gonna hit 100 degree heat spikes. So what that does when your sugar levels are very close, it's gonna send your sugar levels higher if you're gonna get uh, 100 degrees. Um, so we made the decision to pick and we thought we would be, I thought everybody was gonna pick. So I thought it'd be a hard time getting our vineyard staff in there because they have a lot of other, there's a lot of other vineyards to pick in the valley. Um, so we called that pick on Wednesday and we were able to get in there Friday morning and take our whole estate, which is 10 acres. Wow. And so I had all of my fruit in for the estate on Friday. And then I went up to Lake County on Saturday morning, or actually I went on Friday afternoon. And on Sunday morning, my phone was ringing off the hook saying that there was a fire coming that was just above St. Helena. And so I had to come back down through that wave from Lake County to get where we were going. So um, that fire, I, I came down Sunday to see what was going on. And that was around six o'clock in the morning when everyone was freaking out. But I would say there was a good 50 plus percent of grapes out there on the vine still. 
So what that's going to do, you know, a lot of people were scrambling on that Sunday to get it picked. And then that fire rolled out the next couple of days and got closer and closer to the winery. Uh, by Monday morning, 4 a.m., that fire had come down the hill, come north up Silverado Trail, and got to our winery and was within inches of burning it down. And wow. so if something like that happens, I mean, that just will crush you. We were already probably 40% down because of COVID with all the restaurants being closed because we're more of a restaurant uh, we're more of a restaurant brand. Uh, we sell in a lot of restaurants across the country. Our mix is probably 70% restaurant, 30% retail. Um, so we're already having a tough year as it is. And the fire department luckily was able to get to us earlier in the daytime and just kind of wait. And they waited and waited and waited for the fire to come. And they posed down everything all day, knowing that the fire was going to come. And so four o'clock in the morning when the fire came, uh, they had a pretty good head start on it. So it's some pretty wild images out there to see where it burns all the way up to the winery and by, you know, 50 mile an hour winds and 100 degree days did not help them putting out fires. Now, it, and I'm thankful to report uh, as of a couple of days ago, it's 100% contained. So that's good news. But the damage has been done both from a sure. many, many wineries destroyed, uh, a lot of people displaced. Uh, so that's why purchases, helping the glass fire victims are important. And I think it's, I want, we talked about where you, where the house is and where the estate is up north in Calistoga. So I want to show some folks kind of where that is. And then, and then we're going to try to, uh, oh, Google Earth is encountering a problem. Huh. Okay. <laughs> that Google well, company. If, if we know where Napa Valley is, we're at the very top of Napa Valley, the most northern part. We're between Highway 20, we're off of Highway 29, uh, right. up by ben, just north of Tubbs Lane, about a mile and a half from Chateau Montalena. Um, it's a pretty interesting place because the only time you're going to see this, or not the only time, but I, I'm amazed of what happens when, when I, because I do a lot of shortcutting, you know, going over to Sonoma and, and going Crossroads and Trinity and Oakville Grade and all, all those crazy things. But I love driving up 128 over to the Sonoma side, and I always pass the estate. <laughs> and uh, this is actually the estate's behind me, so uh, the gate is to the property. And we'll see if uh, Google Earth wants to cooperate now. Uh, it does look like it's cooperating. Uh, what doesn't look like it's there is where I had my stuff saved, so that's kind of <laughs> disappointing. Um, Jeff Greasy, uh, I know you're a big Google Earth guy, and we had upped our game tonight because I actually had some motion video stuff to, so, to show. So uh, for those of you that are just joining us, we're, we're big believers in Google Earth. Uh, we were up until that crash a minute ago. Uh, <laughs> so as I say every week, Google, Google one day is going to amount to something. I, I keep an eye on them. They're going to be pretty, pretty big. Uh, but for Seller Angels over the last 10 years, this is what we focus on. We focus on Napa Valley, and we focus on Sonoma Valley. And everyone is always amazed at how large Sonoma is compared to Napa. And, and Sonoma, actually, when you start getting over here west of the Russian River area, it gets pretty rugged pretty fast. And there's some, some crazy vineyards over here and some crazy ABAs that just produce exceptional fruit. So I think it's interesting, Dan, that you guys are sourcing from both counties, the coast, mm -hmm. you know, down in Caneros down here. And is there a, a particular favorite spot or that, you know, is there a typical... I like this AVA because it's cool weather. I like this one because wind gap is right here. I mean, walk us through kind of your vineyard site selection. Sure, so right where you had the, the, the thumb right there down in Petaluma, um, to be honest, this is one of my favorite vineyards. This is the red wine that I reach for if I'm reaching for a red wine. Um, I've been making Cabernet long enough. We've now made, this is our third vintage of this Pinot Noir. Um, but this is an exciting area. It's between, uh, it's a gap between, it's a 15 mile gap between Petaluma and Sonoma. And you're going to get the winds that are coming from the Sonoma coast that come right through the, those two towns. And so that's what they're calling the Petaluma Gap. And so then that goes all the way down to the San Pablo Bay. So it comes in from the west, goes right through between the town of Petaluma and Sonoma. And that's that little gap right there, what we're calling the Petaluma Gap. What's cool about that is the fog comes in in the morning and then it gets, you know, it's nice and cool. And then it uh, warms up in the afternoon and the fog rolls in again in the evening. 
And so it's really kind of, a, you get that bizarre, a cold, warm, cold again. And the, the, the biggest diurnal uh, uh, shift right there is between 40 and 50 degrees. So if you're getting up to, you know, let's say, you know, 50 degrees in the morning and, and maybe 90 degrees at, you know, in the afternoon, which is pretty wild. And what that does is it's a great space for growing Pinot Noir. So the, in the Petaluma Gap, I'd say it's 75% Pinot Noir. And then the other 25% is broken up probably equal points Chardonnay and uh, Syrah. So cool time with right. Syrah. And of that uh, Pinot Noir, what, why it's so important for Pinot Noir and Chardonnay is we want to really get that acidity. We want to retain the acidity and the uh, low sugar levels without it becoming too too hot because mm -hmm. the thin skin grape of the Pinot Noir will break if it, if it gets too, too hot. And so it's a really, you get that really long, you get a longer season than you would versus going into a hotter area. And it's very similar to the climate of Carneros, but it is a little bit cooler, I'd say. Now, and I, I Google's kind enough to actually locate the vineyard in Calistoga. So okay. I'm, I'm gonna show folks that. I had this all queued up earlier. Sure. But I, I think it's fascinating um, to see uh, one thing I want to show some folks. We, we talk about the speed of, and devastation of, of the mm -hmm. fires. And, and we don't have any of the cinematography or time lapse or anything like that of the 2020 fires because the imagery is still too new. But if I go back to the 2017 fires, which was another harrowing year, and I look at, you know, this is October 10th, 2017. So here's Jack's, yep. the green vegetation is quite evident. I go seven days later and you can see the devastation of the fires that has burned the entire forest. Uh, and again, Jack's was, was missed a little bit, but this was a very, very fast moving fire back in 2017. And I'm just amazed at, and I was there about a week after this and we did some filming and it was just disheartening and, and soul crushing to see the, just the indiscriminate nature. And that one had, you know, hundred mile an hour winds and it could burn up one side of the mountain, uh, completely burn a house down to the slab. And then the house across the street wasn't touched and the, and the flowers in the garden were right there and they were perfectly intact. And it was, it was just mind numbing. So I hope Mother Nature is done with all this insanity with regards to a pandemic and fires and earthquakes and, and that sort of thing, because it's a hard enough business by itself. That was a, a very scary fire for, for Jack, the house right there where the vineyard is, because yep. that came from the east and we didn't know it was coming And overnight, the same night came right up to the back of the house. And so we actually had... Uh, one of my partner's wife was staying there with her girlfriend and they had to run out of the house because the fire was actually coming down the hill behind them. And it was one of the scariest things with all, you know, you're in a wooded area where trees can fall and cross roads. And, you know, and as those fires are burning faster and faster, trees are falling. And yeah. so no one was evacuated. So the fire department had put most of their time into getting people evacuated in you know less time getting the fire put out because they were you know trying to save people this fire was a little bit different um this one burned up to the winery which is about eight miles south of that picture we just saw and so uh both very scary uh but we we had a six hour head start on this one versus a six minute head start on the last one <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, and I'd rather you have not have any head starts at all and get your 30 yeah. inches of rain, you know, a couple inches a month like we normally want. Sure. I, I want to uh, talk a little bit about the angel bonus offer because this is kind of special and it's something that we do to the angels that uh, purchase a case of wine of the offering. And, and Dan put his head together and you can tell by his background, he is extremely knowledgeable on all areas of wine, all areas of the wine industry. And so he put together a really, really special opportunity uh, for Cellar Angels only for everybody that buys a case of this Pinot Noir. So Dan, why don't you describe what's in store for anybody that wants to buy a case? Sure. So, you know, making wine, you know, we get bored of making the same things. And when you get offered, you know, some really great fruit, you take that chance. You take that opportunity to produce a great wine. And so 
my winemaker is known for big, bold Cabernet, big Chardonnays, and now he's producing some great Pinots from Sonoma as well and Chardonnay for himself. Um, but we had a chance to purchase some fruit from Stag's Leap, and it was Petite Syrah. And I said, well, he says, well, what do you want to do with it? I said, well, let's make 100 cases of this wine. And, uh, and maybe we'll, if it comes out great, we'll bottle it and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put our name on it and, uh, and we'll sell it. But if it doesn't turn out great, you know, if, if it doesn't have the pedigree of what our Jack's name is, then it will go into a red one, you know, something. We'll figure out something to do with it. Right. This wine, this wine, Martin, is so fantastic. We're tasting this wine and we're like, we should start making this every year. <laughs> but you can't get, you know, it's, it's, it's great vintages and big vintages like we had in 18 and 19 when when a great farmer, you know, says, hey, I've got a little bit of fruit for you this time, but I don't think I'm going to have it left next year because all of the vineyards are, you know, all of the, the fruit is already sold. You know, we, and so we got very lucky in 2018. We're able to produce or able to uh, purchase a little bit of this fruit. It comes from the Stag's Leap area. Stag's Leap is known for Petite Syrah. It's a fantastic area. It's got, it's very warm. It's warm enough to grow a Petite Syrah. And so we decided to make 100 cases. I don't even have this on my website. Literally, I've shared this wine with friends and family, and that is it. We haven't even sold it yet. Um, and we're just kind of enjoying it for ourselves. And so the, the opportunity is if you purchase the 12 bottles of the Pinot Noir, I'm going to swap out one of those bottles with a bottle of this Petite Syrah. And if, if and I'll leave it up to you guys. If, if, if you love the Syrah, Petite Syrah, and you want to come back, I'll let you in on a little. I'll let you in on a little more of it, but you look at our website. We don't even offer it on our website. It's something that nobody else has gotten. No distribution. No retailers. No restaurants. No one. That is. Um, this is the type of stuff that dreams are made of. You know, someone comes to you and says, "Hey, I've got some petite fruit, and uh, what do you want to do with it?" And you know, you and Kurt get together and you decide to make a hundred cases, and it's a freaking blockbuster. It's awesome. Um, I, that that um, I think I we I think I think I know a couple of people that might be buying a case of this just to get that bottle. <laughs> uh, I'm also it's being awesome. it's great. Yeah. I'm also being informed by someone upstairs that apparently Google is an extremely successful company already, and their share price is fifteen hundred dollars a share. So I stand corrected. Uh, I, I should I should not have shorted that share price the last couple months. Um, I I do want to go to to poll question number two. All right, a couple of folks have written in and I'm gonna take their suggestions and we're gonna pull the audience. If I had my druthers, I would love for SIP to start 30 minutes earlier each Friday, 60 minutes earlier each Friday, at exactly the same time now. So this is something, you know, cause you're across or we're across four time zones. So we try to please everybody and, and figuring out what to do. Um, this actually, I think, might have been submitted by my mom. Um, <laughs> I will give this uh, about 10 more seconds. Five, four, three, two. <laughs> Julie Fogarty, I will show up regardless of what time. I like that. Write an answer. End. 30 minutes earlier, 10%, 70% at exactly the same time now. All right, we're going to try that question next week again because a couple of the hosts have indicated this is way too late for their bedtime. <laughs> we'll be here next Friday, 70%, um, same time. I think that's what we're doing. I like it. Um, so the Petite Syrah, you never made a Petite Syrah, but it's an awesome you know, wine when it's made right. And obviously it has to do with the vineyard source. And did 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 you have fun making it? Were you just kind of wait and see the entire time until all of a sudden you're like, okay, we're on to something here. So Kirk has made Petite Syrah in the past. We have just never made it with Jack. And so, right. and so um, no, we, when you get your chance, when you get a chance to work with, you know, fruit that, fruit that was this good, you, you take, you take that, you know, you take that fruit and you run with it. Um, it is a bigger, richer, deeper, darker, blacker blueberry fruit. And so yeah, it's, it's, uh, one those, it's one of those, it's one of those teeth stainers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so it's, it's a big wine. Um, you know, it can stand the test of time that and Syrah for me personally, 
I like them after they have like 10 years of age and it's hard to find them because they're all sold out. Right. And especially small, small things like this, but you'll enjoy this wine if you like Cabernet and uh, if you like Syrah, it's kind of the marriage between the two of them. I like to think it's, it's a, it's got structure. It's big. It's a, it's a, like I said, blueberry, blackberry fruit. Uh, it's lush. It has some fruit to it. Um, and you know, it is, it is stand the test of time. So it's just something that you could put away, you know, a couple, couple bottles to put away and a couple bottles to drink now. And so we, you know, we talked about earlier about fruit sources and I would imagine this vineyard block of Petit Syrah fit into that modality and, and that template of sustainability, biodynamic, you know, that yep. sort of thing. My question would be, was it a one-time thing? Like, what if you want more for the next couple of years? Well, it was a one-time thing in, eight, in the 18 vintage, and we did not purchase the 19 or the, in the, the 20 was smoked out. Okay. Um, it was, you know, it could be an opportunity down the road. Uh, we just have no idea. I'd like to start making these one-off, you know, things. We make some small production of other grapes, um, but I did not purchase it in 19, or I purchased a little bit in 19. I don't know if it will make it to a separate bottling. We have it tagged for something else right now. Um, because we, we don't want to do the same thing every year. We want to, we want to surprise people and do some fun things, but this, the, the fruit is so fantastic. It's such, such great. I, I wish I could mention who else is in the same vineyard, but just, it's not just really whis whi whisper it to me. Just, just whisper it to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Holy, are you kidding me? That's incredible. We, we did submit this for a rating and we'll get a rating at the end of the year. I don't know what it is. Uh, but when we were tasting this wine, uh, between Kirk and I, we were looking at this wine and going, this is a 95.1. This is a 95.1. We I mean, who knows, you know, but I mean, we're tasting it and we think it's that good. We got a bottle of this. So it's, so it's a fun he, thing. Here's what, I here's what I want to know from, from mm -hmm. your perspective, and we can't ask Kurt, although we could phone a friend. That used to be a popular show. <laughs> um, yeah. What makes it so special? I mean, is it the age of the vines? Is it the rootstock? Is it the vineyard location? Is it all of it? But why is it so darn special? It's all the above. Um, when you're looking at vines, you want to see the health of the plant. So, I mean, you could have, you know, one vineyard um, and it has three different soil types because it has a different, it has a rock in the middle of it or whatnot. Um, one side of the vineyard might get a little more sun than the rest of the vineyard. Um, so when we're looking at vineyards and, you know, I have contracts with Bexdoffer and Dutton, we don't actually just buy, hey, I want to buy this part of the vineyard. We actually go to the vineyard, we look at all of the vines, we assess every little plot of the vineyard, and one vineyard may have 50 different parcels, you know, and so you sure. actually are buying a separate little parcel, just like in Burgundy, and it's not just, you know, you're buying, you know, what you want, and so when we saw this and we saw where it was coming from and the soil and the sunshine, and you know, it was just a huge already pedigree vineyard that we just had to have it and said, okay, you know, we just like, you got to get it. And so, and as you're walk, looking at the grapes, you know, we, we bottled this after 22 months in barrel. So we got a lot of time to get our eyes on this thing. You know, you get your eyes on it and you process the fruit in uh, September. And then you get your eyes and you get it into barrel. You let it go into barrel until January. Then you get your eyes on it again and you're tasting it in January. And then six months later, you look at it again. And, and the whole time we're just like, wow, wow. And that's, that's all we're thinking to ourselves is this is going to be really good. And so um, come 18 months into it, we said, okay, let's, it's time to bottle it. We'll bottle it in our, in our uh, late July bottling. And so we bottled it in late July and now it's just been sitting in a bottle, just resting and, 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 and coming into its own. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and I want to encourage people, you should grab a case of this because you're coming in the Pinot Noir season with Thanksgiving, the holidays and stuff like that. So the bottles of Pinot Noir are going to be flying. Put the bottle of Petit Syrah somewhere special because mm -hmm. that one you don't, if you see the, the grandparents open that one up by accident, you're going to be heartbroken. So let's not let that happen. Um, mm -hmm. The Jack's family, the Jack's label. Yeah. Where, where does, uh, why is it at Kimberly Jackson Wines? Why is it, you know, walk me through, <laughs> sure. walk, me through so, walk me through the history of the family. And John Jacobs, how are you doing, sir? Carrie Schuster, good to see you. Jake is in the house. Philip Long is in the house. Big fan of all of those folks. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. 
Sure. Well, the brand really started with a vision. Uh, the, vi the vision was David Jackson, which David Jackson is the owner of our estate. And David Jackson uh, was uh, wanted to buy a second home and uh, loved to get his hands dirty. He, he ran a printing company for many years and uh, the printing press, you know, he had all the printing presses and whatnot in San Francisco. And yeah, so they were looking. Your hands will get dirty in that business. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So David Jackson had a vision of um, buying a, a piece of property up in Sonoma or Napa and spent many years looking at different properties all over. And first he thought Sonoma, and then he fell in love with Calistoga and, uh, and bought this uh, piece of you know, property in the early 90s. And his whole idea was not to make wine, but to actually um, just grow grapes and, uh, you know, and, and to work out in the vineyard and uh, to, to earn a day's work, a hard day's work, and uh, get his hands dirty. And so the first few years they were selling grapes, and then his son, Trent Jackson, decided, hey, dad, let's, uh, why don't we make a little bit of, of wine for friends and family? And so they made a, uh, their first uh, wine they made was with Gary Galleron down at Whitehall Lane, which is a historical property. If you haven't been right. there, highly suggest it. And then uh, over the, you know, it, it was just a couple of barrels. And, uh, it, and then Kimberly graduated from Pepperdine Law School and uh, with a business degree and said, started taking the wines out to restaurants in San Francisco and uh, making all the deliveries herself and doing everything herself. And then she said, hey, you know, I, I think we have something here. These restaurateurs are loving this wine. Why don't we make a little bit of more or a little bit more? Why don't we make a business out of this? Uh, that label was called Jackson Ridge. And so if you were pulling up to that gate that's right behind you right now, there's a JR on the gate to the left of it. And it's still there because the estate is what's called Jackson Ridge. Uh, we have hence changed the name to Jack, and uh, we, uh, you know, changed it, made it a little bit more modern, and uh, it's it, it just kind of grown from there. We added the Y3 wines in 2008 and, uh, and thought it was a fun, you know, fun, you know, abbreviation of the surname of Jackson. Mm -hmm. Okay, we'll leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> well, for, for other reasons, as you can imagine, um, the Kendall Jackson family did not like us using the name Jackson Ridge. And so it became a, a, a fun exercise to go down the road, but they ended up actually helping us out, putting us in distribution as long as we changed our name. And so we were able to trademark the name Jacks, but not Jackson Ridge. And at the time we were making 400 cases of wine, right. super small, super tiny, who cares? Um, but no, with the blessing of Jess Jackson, uh, he actually helped us grow. He actually helped us, uh, uh, you know, uh, pursue our dream of actually growing the brand into distribution. Because before that we had no distribution. Now, and, and it's, it's a story that ended very, very well because, yeah. you know, both parties benefit. And you're right, you're at 400 cases, you have no distribution connections, you have uh, a dream and a hope and a prayer and a business plan. And so mm -hmm. that actually is, is a great story. And, and, I, and I love, I mean, I love the property behind us. Uh, for those of you that are, can go onto the Cellar Angels website and, and look at this wine that we're featuring, play the video because it's, it's myself and Dan and Kimberly talking at this property. And uh, as I say, you know, a day in wine country, it doesn't suck. It, it just absolutely is about as picture perfect as you can get. And it, it's a really pretty slice of earth right up there. And you talked about, you know, then you were 400 cases. You had a couple thousand cases now. What's the vision? When, when does Dan Parrott step back and go, ah, mission accomplished? <laughs> well, we're having a good time doing what we do. I don't know if, you know, we're lucky to do what we do. Um, you know, this is, this is a passion, you know, and wine is a passion just as running a restaurant. I, I kind of, you know, compare what we have with a small winery as to a small restaurant. Um, you put in a lot of hours, you have to be there, you, you need to touch every grape, you need to touch every bottle, you know, make sure it is up to the par. Um, we have a great time doing it, and I, I, I don't know what else I'd rather be doing, to be honest with you. I mean, you've rolled, you've driven down Highway 29 across Highway 12 and you see the rolling hills of, you know, the police, the vineyard behind me. And it's one of the most beautiful sites that you've ever seen. 
it almost it almost takes you away to being in Italy or France or some other magical place. Um, sometimes when I'm up there, I kind of like you know being where I am, where I live in San Rafael, because when I'm up there, I feel as if I'm in a bubble because I tune out everything. I'm not listening to the news. I'm not listening to anything that doesn't impact me or the grapes or what we do in Napa Valley. Well, and it's funny because I've said that for years, and, and you used to live in Chicago, did you not? I did. Had a great time. Uh, when I, I grew up in Michigan, spent 18 years there, and then I spent two years in Chicago, and I loved it. And I always tell people this is the best. Uh, it's the best food city. It's the best city in the country, except for the winters. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, <laughs> you talk about the cathartic nature of wine country, and, and it's something that we share with people all the time. And, and I share that same sentiment about Chicago, even though we just moved out of Chicago. But I tell people it's one of the top five cities in the world six months out of the year. Yeah, uh, the other six months, the other six months, not so much. But when we used to come to wine country, you know, beginning in the 90s, it's there is something cathartic about going over either the Bay Bridge or the Golden Gate Bridge and getting into the rolling hills, especially for a Midwesterner. And you just begin to feel the residue of the city just washing away and you get the bucolic hillsides and, and it is something magical about that. And this vineyard behind me is, is no different. So I can completely agree where it's kind of a Zen state. You just get lost up there. Uh, and, and the prolific soil structures and all of the different uh, be beautiful wine climates that exist and the microclimates. I mean, it's, it's unlike any place on earth. So uh, I'm, I'm encouraged by soon we will be going back and doing a lot of these things in person. Um, but this has been a, a really a, a great time. And talk about the vineyard behind you and the wine in our glasses. We forgot to Excellent. do that. So the vineyard behind me, you can see is almost rolling hills. And it's a really beautiful set. Um, this, like I said, you had asked me, you know, what is one of your most special places and what do you like? Like I said, to be honest, this is, um, this is the red wine that I reach for on more of a regular basis because um, this wine is high acid, very fruit driven, definitely of a leaner style. When you're looking at this wine, um, some of the, some of the Pinot Noirs that were made in the, in the, uh, in the early 2000s, just kept becoming bigger and bigger and darker and darker. And you can see this, and this will go right up against Burgundy. I mean, this is, this is you're tasting the soil, you're tasting the grift, you're tasting the terroir. Um, this is single clone, 100% Pinot Noir. This is aged uh, for 18 months in 40% new French oak. And so we're not skimping. We have done, you know, we've been making Pinot for a long time, and I've seen many, many vintners trying to use more oak. And, um, and we've just honed in on this vineyard. And with the fruit structure of this vineyard, we've tested 50%, we've tested 30%, and 40% new French oak just rings it. And it allows that fruit to shine through, and that cranberry, and that blueberry, and that strawberry to really kind of shine. And people ask me all the time, like, what would you drink this with? Well, you can drink it on its own. I mean, right. it's, it's, a, it's a wine that you can drink on its own, but I was just doing a, an event uh, this last week, and this was the showstopper. People tasted this wine and started thinking about the holidays, like you said, and they were started thinking about, I can drink this with turkey. I can drink this with, you know, chicken, uh, filet, just about Damn. anything. It's a super versatile wine, um, but this is the time of year when you start thinking of Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, I think. And then you start to get to the heavier wines for the Christmas holiday and the, you know, the December holidays that are out there. So um, this you is, said it was, is a special wine in a special place. You said it was a single clone. Which uh, Pinot Noir clone? It's clone 115. Which Ooh, really gives I had, it I had 117 as a guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there are a couple other people. So this farm, or so this vineyard um, is actually, a, it's, it's, a, it's a newly named vineyard. And so this vineyard was taken over by Oscar Renteria. Oscar Renteria is a farmer, third generation farmer, and one of the big three uh, Mexican farmers in the area that really has taken over as a rock star farmer. Uh, he bought the vineyard a few years back and renamed it Calessa. Calessa means Spanish for stagecoach, which was a, this is what the, the area was known for being a stagecoach stop back in the, back in the day before it was planted. And so 
he has actually uh, been, been farming this for about six or seven years. The vineyard name's been since then, but there's only a few people that have popped up and actually made this a vineyard select. So other people that do have a Colessa Vineyard Pinot Noir would be Chapelet, 1111, B Sellers, and myself. And Chapelet is actually doing a Chardonnay from the same vineyard uh, because this is, is Chardonnay Pinot Noir territory. Um, right. This is a value at this from this vineyard um and I'm, I'm not uh, you know when when we started making this pinot noir uh, we sell our estate cabernet for 50 dollars. and my partner said well how can we sell this for more than our estate cabernet which is a deal at that at 50 dollars. our neighbors are 125 um our estate vineyard is surrounded by cake bread to one side turnbull across the street and perlis is next to me which is a small grower that that makes $125 wines. Um, in this vineyard, other people that are making a single vineyard, single clone Pinot Noir are charging $65 to $80 a bottle. This is, um, this is an insane wine. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, and, and I mean that obviously in a good way, I, and all attributes, because the bouquet is fantastic. I love the fruit in this wine because it is all mm -hmm. the red fruits that you described. But, but the thing that, in my opinion, that brings it home is that acid. And, and, and the component of acid to, to fruit balance is right there. And, and so when you were talking about dishes and I'm thinking about uh, turkey with gravy, I'm thinking about mashed potatoes with butter and, and some of the things and, and ham and those sorts of things where you need to have some acid to cut through that. This thing is amazing. So uh, this is a pretty special vineyard, and at 40-some-odd dollars a bottle, um, I don't know how you spreadsheeted that out, but I'm happy you did. <laughs> Trust me, um, my accountant doesn't like it. My bookkeeper always asks me, are you sure about this? <laughs> yes. Um, we just had an amazing pairing with this last week, and it was a pheasant roulade with a mushroom cream sauce. And so we were all, oh, yeah. almost to Thanksgiving, and it was just, I mean, it was on point right on and especially with that cream sauce that's exactly what i'm talking about because that's a heavier buttery cream sauce with some dairy in it and you need something to cut through that and uh and this will do the trick uh and speaking of thanksgiving it actually pairs well uh that is a pun that was unintentional with our final poll question so this is uh there is no money on this one because of the thanksgiving sets and holiday gift sets that are available on the seller angels website all my holiday meal pairing needs and Christmas gift giving can be completed on the Cellar Angels website without ever leaving my home. True, false, mostly true, except for the kids under 21. <laughs> and the kids under 21, I, I'm, I'm sure Secret Santa and those folks, they're covered. They don't, you know, you can get them wine stems. Give this a few more seconds. It's almost an even split right now. Five, four, three. Yeah, Scotland Kiefer. Kids under 21 can just have a small glass. <laughs> All right, I'll take that. I'll take that. True and mostly true. So the true is, is I'm going to guess and go out on a, on a not politically correct limb here that that's the gentleman in the audience saying, oh yeah, I can knock out all my shopping and all my Thanksgiving, you know, if I have to show up at the in-laws right here from the website, the mostly true are all the other folks that like, no, 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 we've got a lot more people to shop for than just the two of us um, and the under 21 folks. So um, <laughs> the, the wine is, I'm, I'm, this is amazing. And and I, I mean, a cab lover's Pinot Noir might be one way to describe it, but I really think that acid is important. And, and I'm looking forward to some of these, the gamier dishes, you know, the pheasant, the duck, the turkeys, and those sorts of things as we get into the fall season, uh, because they are usually served with an accompaniment of some sort of a dish that has a cream base to it or, or a reduction. And this is going to be fantastic with that. So, um, I don't know what more else to say, Dan, except uh, tell me about the future of where, like you said, you know, do you see yourself going to 5,000 cases, getting bigger? 
Well, the Jacks portfolio with, you know, we make 175 cases of Chardonnay. We make 200 cases of this Pinot Noir that we're having tonight. 200 cases, that's it. Um, and we make about 1,800 cases of our estate Cabernet, 100 cases of Cabernet Franc. And we do a reserve Cabernet called Block 3, which is uh, from the third block of our vineyard, which just scored 97 points from Robert Parker. Um, you know, with, with what we do on the estate, you know, you can only grow so many vines. And right. so that production, I really can't control. Uh, I could grow the Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, but to be honest, we, we, we make these wines because we like to drink them. And we think they're two of the best sites in all of Sonoma. Uh, and that's what we want on our dinner table at night. Um, the Y3 is a, big, is a bigger brand. And, um, and I can kind of control the size of that. It does uh, kind of keep the lights on. And that's what you'll see in restaurants and, and shops by the glass. Uh, a little more readily available, but even those are pretty small. Um, well, you know, this year we made 200 cases of rosé. You know, we make a thousand cases of Chardonnay, a thousand Pinot, two thousand uh, red blend and Cabernet, and uh, yeah. And so, you know, it, it's fun. It's fun to do. It's passionate to do. But as you grow, you you grow your problems as well. <laughs> that's right. Um, and I do want to let let people know that when this whole pandemic thing gets over. Uh, you can go taste these wines in downtown San Francisco because Jack's has got a tasting room in the city that is pretty spectacular, very swanky, really cool vibe. Uh, Dan, what's the address of that so when folks can come out, where can they go taste these? Sure, we're down on Brandon Street in the uh, district of Soma, which is just two blocks north of the baseball stadium and about a you know, quarter mile from the ferry building if you're in town. Um, highly suggested if you know anybody in San Francisco, ask them if they've ever been to Jack's. We have a beautiful patio uh, that we brought some vines down. And, uh, and right now we're about to open back up, I believe, for Fridays and Saturdays. Um, you know, we're social distancing and it's outdoors, so we're safe there. Um, but yeah, just a really beautiful place. And if you reach out far enough, far enough in advance, I'll try and make a work day around you visiting Calistoga as well. Uh, we're not generally open to the public up there, but... Uh, you can twist my arms sometimes and make me get up there and uh, set up some bottles and, and uh, you can you can view the same view that yeah, Martin's got behind him. <laughs> it's a pretty good view. Uh, I would like to thank Dan this evening for spending Friday with us and to all of you on Zoom, all of you on Facebook. Uh, we will be back here next week with Miriam Puentes from Unrama uh, talking about Cabernet Sauvignon and do yourselves a favor, get a glass of the good stuff just because we have to physically distance doesn't mean we have to socially distance. So as we always say at Cellar Angels, we drink fine wine and we drink serious wine. We just don't take ourselves too seriously. So be safe, everyone. Dan Parrott, sir, thank you so much. Fascinating story, outstanding wine. Couldn't have done this without you. And uh, I want you to stay safe too, brother. You stay safe as well. Cheers. All right, cheers. Be good, everyone. Thanks for joining. Okay.